0: Listen, I do want to introduce our guest this morning. Cindy Finch is a uh, clinical family therapist who, uh, from California who emphasizes in helping others through difficult times. And I don't know about you, but I've had my share of difficult times, as probably all of us have. And uh, she is a specialist in this area to helping people. And. Uh, she received training at the Mayo Clinic. Um, she's a seasoned, experienced therapist. Uh, she serves as the coordinator of family therapy at what's called the DBT Center of Orange County, and works also on the faculty of Pepperdine University. And she specializes in the treatment of trauma and works as, uh, in her field as a Christ follower and a shepherd those who have been rejected, oftentimes lost from society. There's many other things I could speak about. Cindy, we want to welcome you today to our church here at Faith Community Church. Would you come?
1: Thank you, Pastor Joe. (laughs) Okay, well, it's lovely to see everybody here today, and what a day we had yesterday. Uh, So fun to be together, and thank you for trusting me to come back again. A few of you know I'm a little bit of a spastic, wild speaker, so if I'm over here, or over here, just hang with me. Um, We had a great time. Um, And originally, I I came here today to, to share with you about how to work with those who struggle with mental illness and thoughts of suicide and uh, how to help. And that's still the plan. And I I love when God confirms it, and I don't like it. I mean, I like it and don't like it, but my coworker Angela and I were leaving this morning and she texted me and she said, you'll never believe what happened. There was a woman who was um, helping her with her luggage and they just happened to be kind of passing suitcases. and, And she said, can I just tell you, my son killed himself. And um, and I know Angela was just taken aback, and and then Angela proceeded to minister to her and say, "I want you to know um, that God loves you, and this must be so terrible for you, and and I'm so sorry, and thank you for sharing this with me, and I, and I and I want you to know it's not your fault." And so there may be some of you here today. Um, do you mind if we just jump right in? It's okay. I don't have a lot of like other things to say. Let's. Let's just talk about the work that we do and I do and needs to be done. Um, And and there's some of you here today, if you hear nothing else, it's okay by me except I want you to hear this, it's not your fault. Okay? You don't have the power to make anybody want to live. You didn't as a child, if it was your parent. You don't now, if it's your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister or your child you don't have the power to make anybody want to live okay so let me just put that out there Um, i'm going to be speaking to people who actually struggle with suicidal thoughts um, as we go through the service and the reason i'm going to speak to you well well, that's one of the reasons i'm here but um, i've been under the mentorship of Kay warren and many of you know that rick and Kay warren are um, pastors that have churches all around the world. And their son, five years ago, took his life, Matthew. Um, And she um, is is really fabulous. And I highly recommend her website, kwarren.org. She, better than any other mental health provider, better than any other hospital or physician, has a website and a ministry leverage for mental health. And so if you need any resources, I want you to go directly to her website. We're going to be actually hearing from the Warrens um, through a couple of videos today, um, as people who were doing everything right and everything went wrong. Um, they, they, I love how they say it, they said our son was born different from the beginning, um, he was a highly sensitive child, everything seemed to touch him at a deep level, and by the time he was seven or eight he was diagnosed with um, depression and then um, at 17 he wanted to take his life and he didn't until he was 27 and here's their take on it we got 10 more years with him than we would have had otherwise and so I just love their ministry and their work Um, so one more little caveat um, it, I've never made this presentation in a church, and so bear with me. I, I make this presentation to clinicians and to um, students and things like that. But this integration of faith and mental health can be a hard one because we hold a lot of um, bias and belief in the church, and we're going to hear more about that today and outside of the church about what causes it, where it comes from. Why can't people just be happy and th- be more positive and think better thoughts? and Maybe they wouldn't be so difficult or depressed or, you know, like that's how we all think. I'm just going to say it because that's how we all think. Um, but I, I, so I'm going to integrate some of these these concepts biblically, but scientifically as well. And I want to just lay this up front: all truth belongs to God, wherever it comes from. It all belongs to Him because it all came from Him. For instance, the. Protocol for curing cancer and setting broken legs and doing surgery is not found in the Bible But because God is the creator and the healer he gave that wisdom to us Right so that truth belonged to him first so the protocol for managing mental illness and for helping someone through suicide is not actually in the Bible but it comes from him because he's my creator. <clears throat> he wired us the way we are. He created us as mind, body, and spirit. He gave us emotion because he himself is an emotional being. <clears throat> and so the protocol for managing that came from him, even though it's not laid out in the Bible because it's his truth first. Sound okay? Okay. So. Um, Briefly, I came to this work as a a homeschool mom with cancer. Oh my gosh, God parlayed that into working with people who had um, suffered. That story, if you were here yesterday, great, you heard it then. I'm not going to take time up with it now because there's too many other good things. But God told me, jump in the river, pull them out, and I'll help you along the way. So that's what I've been doing. Um, I got really surprised by how many people suffer with mental illness in the church, especially because we're very quiet about it. and, and it's just everywhere. So I, I'm a counselor who's a Christian, but I'm not a Christian counselor. And the reason is, is because a lot of my clients won't come to me if I call myself a Christian counselor, because a lot of their hurt has come from the church, right? Or they're atheists and they don't yet believe, right? And so, um, but everyone that comes through my practice is prayed for and interceded over. Um, but I just want to say that. So I, I don't like practice out of a church. I just have a little office and I go in there and somehow God shows up. I don't even know how he puts up with me, I'm so disorganized. But he keeps bringing these people to me. And I, I was saying yesterday, he, uh, people that I have nothing in common with. Our beliefs and our values are so different. And he goes, here I have another one for you and they're not gonna look at all like what you thought. But I have a plan working out and I need you to be one point of light in their life, but I have the rest of their life. Plan. So if you'll do your part, I'll create a ripple effect. If you'll be obedient to speak the truth to them and to shepherd them and walk through these terrible, terrible times with them as if you were me. Okay. And so really that's what we're all asked to do. And it's interesting because this talk of all the three talks that I gave or giving, um, I did, it wouldn't come together for me. I mean, have you ever had that happen where it just like won't melange, like it won't come together? And um, so I sat down at the airport on Thursday, and here's what happened. I sat down, and I said, gosh, God, I feel really inept. Um, I don't have this third talk put together. What do you want to do on on Sunday? And then um, three things happened really quickly. So I prayed, what do you want to do? And then on my phone, this notification came in from my school. So I work at Pepperdine, and um, it said active shooter. And I said, oh my gosh, wait, where in the country is there another active shooter? Well, it turns out, it was at a college bar right near one of our campuses, and 16 of our students were in that bar. And and then right alongside it, catch catch this with me if you can. My daily Bible reading app popped up and said, read your Bible. So I read my Bible. Alright, so first I went to the Pepperdine email and it started saying that there was a mass shooting um, in a bar with a bunch of college kids, two hours north of my house, which has been the third one in two years, not far from me, which, which wrecks me and I know it wrecks you too. Um, and, and then I opened the scripture and read about things that I was so glad to read about and I'll share those as we go but I just love how God works right in a moment of despair he's going to show up so one of the things I want you to know is like if you're thinking about taking your life and you guys look like all really good midwestern people and I know you're probably not doing that and everybody's so hardworking here in Iowa and I I love like the true blue nature of who you are with a problem with you is this you won't look like you need help And because so many of us here because i'm from minnesota for a while like eight years so i'm kind of like i got my minnesota accent on um we're real stoic like the stoic swede like push everything down okay and so um i think this goes on in the church quite a bit in fact i'm going to have um tyler play a video um it's andrew stockline's video but i want you to um actually fast forward it um to two minutes ahead let me give some So move it forward two minutes, okay. And here, Andrew Stockline is a pastor who's just east of me in the Inland Hills, pastoring a mega church and also struggling with mental illness. And and he's gonna be sharing in this video about his struggle. And he's so candid with his church. So let me give you a little background. His dad had died of leukemia and he was the senior pastor of the church. And then um, he himself had been through a bunch of illness uh, he's about 30 years old. He has three little boys, and he's just had thing upon thing upon thing happen to him. Okay, so where he lives, it's like gangland, and they have this great church there. But he, people had started stalking him and his family to the point he had to have like security guards around him because of the nature of the work that he does, like pulling people out of really, really criminal, scary lifestyles. So it had all built on him, all right, and it. It began to show. So if you'll move it ahead by just a few minutes because I want to save time. Um, He's going to tell a story here.
2: About seven months before this Thursday afternoon when I hit the wall is when one of the stalkers showed up to one of our houses. And, you know, the nature of um, the role these days with with social media and the spotlight and the rise of mental illness. uh, We have several stalkers, believe it or not. And and this individual showed up and was pretty dangerous. And we had to take some serious measures. And it caused uh, me and Kayla to have to sell our home. And uh, my mom to sell her home. And we've we purchased a, a place together. We've told you about this before. And, um, and so that was kind of going on. And that moment when he showed up and, and, uh, about seven months before this Thursday breakdown, it really began this downward spiral where physically I was not okay. I, in that period, had uh, two surgeries to remove a softball-sized uh, mass from my chest i 've passed sixty kidney stones now, which i 'm very excited about. Those are my babies, oh yeah <laughs> and we 're working on getting that resolved that 's you know kind of slowing down. but um, then I thought on top of all of this, um, we should we should go to India and Africa for three weeks, and so I hopped on a plane and i 'm overseas and uh, my, I, I started to experience panic attacks and anxiety attacks and was working with a, a, a wellness doctor on this. And, and then we thought, yeah, yeah, let's get back from India. And then a few days later, I spoke seven Easter services. And on Good Friday, um, before the first service, one of the security guards who helps you know, follow me around found me on the bathroom floor in the offices. Just with this extreme panic. And that's when we really started to know that something wasn't right. And then we got through Easter and uh, we just I just kind of said, well, it's jet lag, you know, and uh, I'm okay, and I can keep going, like Kayla was saying. And then Thursday afternoon happened and I was upstairs at the house at the time. Kayla and the boys were downstairs and and I just I freaked out. It was actually the flooring guy who called and said that the floor wasn't going to be installed in time. And that triggered me, and I went into this full-on panic attack. And if you've ever been in one or been around someone that's in the middle of a, a real panic attack, it's a scary thing. I was, I was in fear for my life. I thought I was going to die. I was um, pacing back and forth. I wasn't making sense. Kayla was begging me to go to the hospital. I was refusing. I was refusing to take any medication. I was like, girl, I got a, a, a message to preach on Sunday. I'm not going to the hospital. I mean, and I was just, I was totally whacked out of my mind. It took two doctors on the phone to convince me to go. So Kayla drove me to Pomona Valley Hospital into the ER. I. Uh, I wasn't even able to to walk. They put me in a, a wheelchair, wheeled me in, and I had my sunglasses on. I still remember. I, I had my sunglasses on because I thought that like everybody at Inland Hills Church was going to be at the hospital watching me go through this breakdown.
1: Will you stop the video? And
2: and, and I was thinking these wild thoughts, and I thought that someone.
1: Okay, so um, I stopped it because he, he has a fascinating story, and you can see it online. Um, but what he's talking about right there is the presence of shame about his experience. He's, been, he's a community leader, can you imagine? And um, thousands of people attend his church and his dad was the pastor before that and he was so ashamed of his mental illness. He didn't want to take medication, he didn't want to be seen in public. Um, what he goes on to describe clinically, I, I'm not his therapist so I can't tell you for sure, but is what we call a psychotic episode. Um, and so he went into a time of psychosis um, and I, I don't know but just by reading his story about it and that whole episode of time before he hit this wall going 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 um, to me from a you're gonna hear the clinician in me talking would be a manic episode of bipolar okay can't stop won't stop all right I don't know but I mean, anybody in the room, don't raise your hand. I know. This is actually mental illness presenting itself. Um, So, the reason I I showed Andrew's video is because if you follow this all the way through um, for the next four minutes, he says, Here's my story. And then he goes right back into teaching. Now, what's God going to do? And this and this and this. And two weeks later, he killed himself in his church, sitting in a classroom done okay and so because he was so oriented to doing the work he wasn't doing the work that needed to happen his life has rocked our our part of the state, his death, he's 31 years old all right? and doing everything he felt called to do by God, doing everything right but I can only imagine that, you know, he was saying, oh, it's jet lag, oh, it's this, oh, it's that. It was mental illness. Okay, mental illness. Will you play the next video by Rick Warren, the...
3: In the past 16 weeks since mental illness took my son Matthew's life...
4: An impassioned Rick Warren delivered his first sermon since his son Matthew killed himself at age 27 in April. With his wife Kay at his side... Warren told his Saddleback Church congregation Matthew suffered from mental illness since childhood.
3: We had gone to the best doctors money could buy. We had gotten the best medications. We had the best therapy. We had the best people praying, thousands of people praying. We have an incredibly strong family with deep, deep faith. It just did not make sense.
4: The grieving couple's influence reaches far beyond the walls of this church. Warren is the author of the mega bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life. With Kay at the forefront, Saddleback Church launched a global initiative to provide help for people who are HIV positive and remove any associated stigmas. After their son's suicide, the Warren's new pledge is to erase any shame associated with mental illness.
3: It's amazing to me that any other organ in your body can break down and there's no shame and stigma to it. But if your brain breaks down, you're supposed to keep it a secret. Huh? There's no stigma. You, you get diabetes, no problem. You get heart disease, no problem. Your lungs don't work, no problem. You break a bone, break a back. If your liver stops working, no stigma. But if your brain doesn't work right, why should you be ashamed of that?
4: Warren credits relatives, especially Matthew's surviving older siblings,
3: Josh and Amy, with leading the family through its darkest moments. I am in a family of spiritual redwoods. I mean, they are giants of faith. It is a rock solid family. And actually, when Matthew died, uh, Amy said, You know, Daddy, she said, Satan picked the wrong family to pick on. He's going to lose big time on this one. <laughs>
4: Saddleback church officials say that Rick Warren will not grant any interview soon, but they say we will hear a lot from him, especially as he begins his mission to remove the stigma of mental illness.
1: Isn't that just beautiful? Satan picked the wrong family to mess with. So Rick and Kay Warren have allowed God to parlay their loss into a worldwide mission for mental health and to reduce the stigma in the church. And one of the reasons I'm here today is to invite you into that work with me, all right? So some of you in this room need to be doing what I'm doing, all right? And maybe you've wondered, what am I supposed to be doing in my ministry? If you have the gift of mercy, if you're kind and tenderhearted, if you really worry about other people, <laughs> if you yourself have been through some really terrible things, uh, this isn't all the qualifications, but I mean, right? Like this is... You're my peeps if you have the gift of shepherding, the gift of pastoring, right? If you need to know that people around you are going to be okay, Perhaps you're supposed to go to college and get licensed and open up a mental health clinic not far from here. Because as far as I can see in rural Iowa, not a whole lot of mental health care around here, Okay, Um, And this, this family can't do it all. These two families, they can't do it all. Because in the church, I don't know if it's like it where you are. Um, But 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, right? And then the rest of us are just showing up as consumers to enjoy that. So, um, I don't know who's in the room, but perhaps you are supposed to do that. Perhaps you're supposed to start a support group that meets once a month to talk about anxiety and depression. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Perhaps you're supposed to start a mental health ministry right in this church. They actually have the Warrens have actually developed um, what's called a mental health ministry in a box, which has bulletin inserts, videos for different services for teenagers, how to talk to your kids about it. You'd be shocked how many teens struggle with suicidal thoughts. It's so scary these days. And listen, Iowa's not immune. The suicide rate here has gone up 30 percent in the last 10 years. And in my own state, it's gone up 50%. We've had some pretty high-profile suicides, and I'm so ashamed of that. I don't want to have high-profile suicides in my state. I don't want that. I want to pull people back and say, listen, don't make a final decision based on a temporary emotion. Okay. so if you're in this room and you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, let's just jump in, okay? Um, First of all, suicidal thoughts don't discriminate they happen in rich people in poor people in white people in black people in kids in adults women men they don't discriminate they're everywhere you'd be shocked if we could all flip back what we think about how many people's minds want to escape this world why because it's hard this life is hard and it doesn't get easier So men are more likely to complete suicide. Women are more likely to attempt and not complete. There are twice as many suicides in this country than murder. Financial and relational problems are often at the heart of suicide and undiagnosed mental health problems. But no one talks about it. Stigma in our culture and mental illness, it's because it's like a weakness, right? Because a lot of us think, like, just be happy, like I was saying at the beginning. And in the church, we look around like, Andrew, he looks fine, he looks healthy. And I honestly had a hard time because I had fought so hard to live that when I started working with mental health peeps, I was like, what's the problem? Like, who would not want to live? Trust me, a lot of people don't want to live. It came home really clear to me when I read a book called Here If You Need Me by a, fe- Here if you Need me, by a female chaplain named Kate Braistrup, And she was a law enforcement chaplain who would go on search and rescue meetings search and rescue expeditions to help find people that had been lost in the wilderness, had fallen off rocks, had you know went the wrong way and got dehydrated, or who had gone and walked out into the countryside to take their lives. So she went along to help minister to the families and the rescue workers. And she told it like this. And it's the first time I could really understand it. And I'm going to tell you now so that maybe, like me, you'll develop compassion for it and a great respect for it. Um, remember when 9-11 happened and it was just so devastating and if I were to ask everybody in this room like where were you when 9-11 happened you'd remember I was at the gym I saw on the television oh my gosh the towers are burning the plane mayhem on the ground it was insane and we watched for days and hours we couldn't imagine this kind of terror on American soil it had never happened 5,000 lives lost it was, like, it, was, it was just terrible, it was heartbreaking, right? And every now and then, do you remember on the TV when they would show somebody at the very top of the tower, jump, you guys remember seeing that? It was so, it was so disturbing. But, but in that setting, didn't it kind of make sense? I mean, in a really awful, morbid way, like all of their exits are cut off. <clears throat> Help is not coming for them. It can't make it up the stairs. Their building is on fire. So they can either stay in that tower or their office and be burned alive, or they can take some control, break out a window, and jump. And, like in that setting, like we all went, that is the worst thing I've ever seen, and somehow I get that. Okay, so people who are struggling with severe depression. They feel like they're on fire on the inside of them. Right? And what's worse, if you have mental illness, you probably are first highly sensitive, okay? because you were born with very sensitive genetics. When you hear Rick and Kay Warren talk, they say that their son Matthew was so sensitive from the time he was a child. I've had patients tell me that they would look at a plant that hadn't been watered and would cry because they could feel the pain of the plant. I have my patients that feel sorry for trash because it's been discarded, because they feel that sensitively. Okay, take that with a genetic predisposition maybe that they just inherited from a family member, maybe Aunt Elma somewhere up in their lineage for mental illness, and then combine that with a really cruel mean culture that we live in. And it's no surprise that mental health goes down the drain. And then sometimes we're raising children or have family members that we just don't understand and then we say like why are you so dramatic what's your problem why don't you just trust god more why don't you just um be happy why don't you just get up and pray here's a scripture to read well at least you could your legs work things like that but let me tell you when you are in the grips of severe mental illness i need more than that Okay, I need more than that, and I need more than one scripture. I need the, whole, ba- the b- whole Bible. I need it, and I need God bad in that moment. But the problem is, like with Andrew's story, he had God, but there were some moments where he just felt the shame and the despair, like he could not go on. Can you imagine the son of a pastor thinking it'd be a, a decent idea to take his life? If it can happen to him, it can happen to us. Let me explain shame to you, by the way. Shame is not guilt, and shame is probably the biggest enemy of most of my patients. Here's how shame sounds. Shame is not that I made a mistake. Shame is that I am a mistake. At the core of who I am, I'm wrong, right? And if I didn't just pick that up through culture. We live in such a mean culture. I pick it up somewhere like along the way and then I just walk around all the time thinking I am wrong at my core level. And then let me not let them off the hook. My, my peeps in my office, like they do themselves no favor either because sometimes they'll refuse to take medication, they act bizarre in front of their families, they run relationships into the ground, they have extreme addictions. But let me explain addiction with mental illness. If you're on fire inside of your being all the time, which most mental health patients have so much chaos. One of my patients told me, I feel like living in my head is like living in a haunted house. Well, then I might drink and use drugs too. Because they're trying to medicate it. They're trying not to feel that. OK, so that will make sense. Now, I, I, I don't want to say that you should just let them run across your life and do whatever they want. Our people need limits. Just because you're mentally ill doesn't mean that you get carte blanche into my life because we're going to watch this next video with Rick and Kay Warren. And and by the way, this is a little bit longer, but they have such good points. They're just going to walk us through. All right. They're going to be our pastors for just a moment, this final video, and then we're going to wrap it up.
5: Have just been diagnosed with a mental illness or you may have a family member who's just been diagnosed and your mind is full of thoughts and you might even be a little frightened because that's an overwhelming diagnosis but we want to talk to you in this about how to manage a mental illness from a holistic perspective and probably the very first thing from this diagnosis is your psychiatrist may have said to you that adding medication may be the very first thing that you need to do and taking medication for a mental illness I mean, that that can be very frightening. You don't know how you're going to feel. You don't know how it's going to make you act. You don't know, is it going to change you? It can really be a frightening thing.
3: Yeah, and you know, as a pastor who studied the Bible for over 40 years, I can tell you this. It's not a sin to be sick. And it's not a sin to take medication. In fact, a lot of people think that, you know, they're ashamed of taking medicine. Well, why? You know, if my heart doesn't work and I take heart medicine, there's no shame in that. If my liver doesn't work and I, I take liver medicine, there's no shame in that. If my brain isn't working right and I take medicine for my brain, there's no shame in that. There's no stigma to that. It's just part of being uh, a human being and living in a broken
1: world.
5: And that's what we wanna talk about, is, is how to manage mental illness in a holistic way. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people think if they go and they get a diagnosis and somebody says, okay, here's, here's the illness that you have and here's the medication that you, that you have and we also want you to be involved in therapy, Sometimes we can think that that's all that's necessary. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes taking medication and being in weekly therapy, dealing with your mind and dealing with your thoughts, is incredibly and your emotions, and your emotions is incredibly helpful. But that's not all. You're going to need to work in some other areas. There's some other things that are going to add benefit to you managing a mental illness. Okay,
1: yeah, so pause, pause the, the video right layers. there, will you?
3: You might start <coughs> the.
1: Thank you. <coughs> I'm going to just summarize what they say, because if not, we are run out of time and I want to honor our time. Here's what they say, the other things. I wanted you to hear it from a pastor that there's no sin in being mentally ill, that there's no sin in being sick, right? And I, I know Rick Warren said that twice in the both the videos, but I intentionally did that because you need to hear that. You need to hear there is no sin in being sick or your child being sick. If they broke the leg, you'd get a cast. If I can't see, I wear glasses. If my mind doesn't work, I need support. Okay, so here's what he sums it up as. A medication if you need it, going to a therapy. This is the protocol, by the way. Okay, when I went into cancer treatments, there was a protocol for treating my cancer. So going to therapy, uh, attending to your exercise, your healthy eating, um, and having somebody to talk to, and helping from relationships and family. Okay, one of the biggest things that mental health, people who struggle with mental health need is validation. All right, and the validation is not like, oh, I agree that you can just kind of like be in bed for three days, or that you can just run your life off a cliff, or that you can treat me poorly. That's not, not, that's not what, it, or I agree that you're mentally ill, so don't ever do anything again with your life. That's not what I mean. Validation is not that. Validation is this, on some level, I can see that this is really difficult for you. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, what is this like for you? Wow, I can see that you're really hurting. I can see that this has been such a struggle. What do you need? If I could give my patients one thing, it would be families that validate them. But their families are afraid if they validate them, that they're giving permission for them to stay sick. But let me tell you, it works so opposite of that. Actually, when they get the validation and the connection, they begin to recover. Okay, so I wanna flip that for you. The next thing that I wish I could give them is a strong connection to Christ, right? So that they don't make a permanent decision with a temporary emotion. No emotion is gonna last forever. They move, they're like waves. They come and go, they reach a peak, and then they go down so let me encourage you with that today your brain cannot hold an intense emotion for any more than about 40 minutes if you don't whip it up again so it's gonna go down so let me cut to the chase really quick and then i'm going to read a scripture um if you're struggling with suicide i'm going to give you some reasons to not do it okay um don't do it (laughs) there's my reason because i said so because i'll be really mad at you and so will your pastors and i tell some of my patients especially the young ones Um, Listen, if you kill yourself, then I'm going to be really mad, and I am going to go into eternity and pull you back and kill you myself, because I'm just going to be furious if you give up on life, because life happens in chapters. You're in a bad chapter right now, and what we need to do is turn the page, because something better might be coming, right? This is how we have hope in Christ. You can say that to people. The Bible says that we are to bear one another's burdens. This is, and, and fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, here's the other reason. <clears throat> I don't want you to kill yourself, because guess what, suicide is contagious. It's weird how if one person does it, it actually sets off this ripple effect. Other people will do it. And do you want to be responsible for having that legacy where you were the, per- I'm guilty in you, where you were the person where other people also took their lives. Especially if you're an adult with children. Your children will grow up with a greater likelihood of also killing themselves. So there's a good reason right there not to do it. And the third really practical reason, because now our practice, our group practice has been through a couple of actual suicides, because we work with hundreds of people that struggle with this. Here's the final practical reason. Because when you take your life, you poop your pants. (coughs) You urinate on yourself. And the emergency workers that show up, that's how they see you. And if your family's there, that's how they find you. Is that really how you want your last memory with your family to be? Some people feel like unless they take their lives, no one will hear them. So family members, hear your person before they have to escalate to that point. Hear them at a lower level of intensity, will you? Okay so when I went to the scripture on Thursday when I sat in the airport my scripture reading of the day was Genesis 32 to 34 and let me give you a summary because if not I'll be up here 20 more minutes trying to preach on this and I'm no preacher let me give you a summary so first of all Jacob is fearing his brother Esau and he's greatly afraid and trying to find favor with him and he's distressed and fearing an attack So Jacob and Esau are brothers, and they have a long history of conflict together, right? You can read the Bible and see it. And Jacob is really afraid, and he sends gifts to try to win Esau over. And then, oh, by the way, Esau receives him and welcomes him back. This could be an indication for some siblings to welcome your estranged family member or friend back. Then the next section of my reading reading was Jacob wrestling with God and becoming injured. The next section was the defiling of Dinah. Let me break it down, we're all adults in this room, or mostly. Dinah is raped, she's brutally attacked, and it sends her brothers to war with another country. It is no accident that the Me Too movement has caused an uprising, because those things shouldn't happen. It should be a war when women are brutalized. So here's what I take away from that. Jacob. Esau, wrestling. Jacob was having a crisis in his family. Jacob was having a spiritual crisis with God. Dinah was going through abuse and her brothers were out for revenge. There were crises all around. So you know what I take from that? That that is life. That is life and that's how it is and it's hard. And these things really try us and make us wanna give up. And then finally in Psalms 10, I'm just gonna read it and then we'll close. The psalm reading for the day was this, O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I need you the most? So some of you in this room, that's your exact question. Why do you stand so far away? I need to tell you today that me coming here is no accident. This pastor opening this door today to talk about this is no accident. God is not standing far away and he wants you home. He misses you. Even if you've been a Christian in this church for years, he wants you home. All right, let me come to the end of this chapter because David goes on to write all of his complaints about strong men that are taking him over, that people he wants to get revenge on, people he's angry with, people who have done him wrong and he feels like a victim in his life. And the very end says this, the Lord is king forever and ever and let those who worship other gods be swept from the land. Lord, you know the hopes of the hopeless. Surely you will listen to their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so my prayer today I'm going to close is that you would have a revelation of God and that God would come in and do what only he can do in your life and that he would bring justice for you thank you so much for having me